a lot of low and middle income countries as they push towards universal health coverage, they're replicating some of the structural flaws that high income countries are right now trying to dismantle in their own systems. And there's a huge risk there. Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, Josh and Joe speak with Dr. Chintan Maru, the founder and executive director of Leapfrog to Value. Leapfrog to Value, incubated by the Global Development Incubator, is a health initiative to advance value-based care in lower and middle-income countries. Dr. Maru describes what led to his career in health systems design and how Leapfrog to Value works as a technical and strategic partner to enable value-based care in these countries, as well as some of the ways that even a more developed health system like the United States can learn from this work. This is the ACO Show. I'm Josh Israel. I'm a medical director at Allidade. And I'm Joe Schunkweiler. I lead adoption and training at Allidade. And we are very pleased to have with us today, Dr. Chintan Maru. Uh, Chintan is the founder and executive director of Leapfrog to Value, uh, which advances the field of value-based care in low- and middle-income countries. He's also a director at GDI, the Global Development Incubator, where he leads a portfolio of initiatives aimed at improving the value of health systems. Chintan is also a medical doctor and a public health advocate. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here with you. Excellent. So, you know, I, I gave just a, a high-level snapshot there, but I'd love if you could tell our listeners a bit more about your background and, and how you ended up where you are currently. Yeah, sure. Um, went to med school and realized pretty quickly I was uh, more drawn to health systems. And after a brief stint with some work with a professor in research, I joined McKinsey and Company, the consulting firm, where I had a mix of work in the U.S. post ACA, uh, a lot of it based around value, a lot of work with states, state Medicaid programs on value-based innovation. And the other half of my work was with um, global philanthropy, organizations like the Gates Foundation or USAID on health systems reform. Uh, and it's really that work um, across sort of the U.S. value landscape and the work in low and middle income countries in the philanthropy world that led me to what I'm up to today. We think about value-based care, uh, at Allidade anyways, as trying to use the levers within a current system so that providers are incentivized to, to do the right thing for the patients and that will, that will pay better, um, that will incentivize people to align what's good for the patient with what's good for the doctor. But it's very specific. You, know, you really have to know the ins and outs of a medical system to figure out what the levers are, what the outcomes you're measuring are. How do you do that internationally? Like, Do you have to just learn every single country, or do you have an overarching thesis that you try to apply? Yeah, big question. I think a couple comments on that, and we can decide where, where we want to go in the conversation. One is maybe just a broad framing around the difference. Um, the value-based care movement in high-income countries was primarily inspired, in my view, by a motivation around cost management, with quality being a part of it, but um, I think really following the cost pressures, whereas in low and middle income countries, the motive um, is really around shifting from an access uh, mindset, really just getting the basic infrastructure to scale to, to um, a focus on quality. And actually, costs are not going to go down. Costs are going to go up and spending, health spending should go up to re really reach universal health coverage. So I'd say uh, the value-based care frame then is how do we actually spend more money but get really great outcomes and value out of that. So I think that's one big shift 
in uh, in terms of you know how it plays out differently from high income countries versus low and middle income countries. In response to your question about is there some you know grand um, thesis that's going to be uh, it's going to work across different countries and different contexts? Short answer is no. I think what we've learned from value based care, I think globally, is that. This works best when there's really strong sort of ownership and that's got to be local. It's got to be really deeply engaged or deeply connected to the work of, of the frontline providers. Um, and so our effort, Leapfrog to Value, is not meant to try to direct things independently, but really grow the field. Value-based care is not something that's top of mind or even a framing or an idea that's really penetrated low and middle income countries. So we're trying to grow the field and be a technical and strategic partner to providers and payers on the ground that are trying to improve value in, in their own systems. So I want to make sure I understood that right. I know that in our own country, one of the drivers, as you said, is is cost, that we're spending a lot and we're not getting the best outcomes. And um, so we're trying to sort of line that up. So as long as we're spending so much, we get better outcomes. But you're saying that in lower and middle income countries, the goal is just better health care, better health outcomes. And and that may take spending more money. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. That you can't achieve universal health coverage by following the trajectory of, of high-income countries and that we've got to get, we're going to be spending more and we just got to get more value out of that. That's right, Josh. One interesting thing that we found in talking to other folks um, from the international space, so mostly in the United Kingdom or exclusively in the United Kingdom, I guess, uh, and Scotland, is that there is some reticence to talk about things in terms of the U.S. health system. Um, have you found that to be the case? Is is using the phrase value-based care a limiter at all in the development community? Because it, it, it seems like this, you know, uh, pseudo free market approach, um, if if you can call the U.S. health system even approaching a free market. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, Joe. The U.S. in in many ways is not the health systems model that a lot of countries are trying to follow. If you look at the sort of comparative analysis across countries of spending versus health adjusted life expectancy, U.S. is in a, a high value player. So that's one challenge is is yeah, people aren't necessarily looking to US for innovation when it comes to value, even if it's got great examples. And secondly, I think the framing around value does sound a little businessy. Um, and um, people in, in, in a really great way sometimes actually almost um, use the word values as in like moral values uh, when they first hear the term and they're drawn to that part of it less so than like the value for money. Um, side of it. And so we're, we're actually quite flexible on the language we use. And we think language is really important because health can be such a politically charged issue, getting the language right. Another way we talk about value is um, maximizing health rather than maximizing healthcare. And we found that framing around from healthcare production to maximizing health as, as one that's sometimes more compelling in this context. I know that international development has a lot of challenges. One of the things that uh, companies trying to incentivize the move to value-based care in this country are up against are entrenched interests, people who are doing well with the current system, particularly as we're discussing reducing overall costs. Is there one upside to international development where if you're talking about spending more, then you'd have fewer people trying to block that? I, I think the the sort of incumbent players or the legacy systems are still developing and are in a fast growth period. And so, yes, I think that's right. There is more opportunity because 
as a lot of new systems come on board, new providers, new payers, uh, more spending, it allows um, more of an opportunity to shape what those new investments look like. And something like the capacity in a system like hospital beds, for example, in the U.S., which in some saturated markets are attributed with contributing to high costs, some of those challenges in terms of path dependency in the system don't exist. So that's that's one upside. It would be inaccurate, though, to say that there aren't um, incumbent players advocating for the status quo, You know, whether it's uh, sort of more middle-income countries like in India or South Africa or some of the lower-income countries. There's still a lot of status quo interest to, to contend with in, in thinking about systems design. If you look at the private sector in India, the majority of healthcare investment uh, is being directed toward um, hospitals and specialty care. And those business models are really volume-based. And it's the people that are investing in those, the health systems that are, uh, and hospital systems that are growing, have a a stake in the game to continue um, growing with the same business model, Uh, especially when when the sort of demand greatly outstrips supply. It would be hard to sort of reposition those or or to push some of those hospitals into a new business model when they're uh, both accustomed to and uh, aligned with their current one. So how does that bring us to uh, leapfrog to value, Jen? Like what's that, you know, you, you founded this organization. How did that, how did that come about and what's the mission for leapfrog? Yeah. So it came about um, starting with this observation that a lot of low and middle income countries as they push towards universal health coverage, they're replicating what I would call um, some of the structural flaws that high-income countries are right now trying to dismantle in their own systems, and there's a huge risk there. Um, And so how can they actually uh, build into their universal health coverage strategy an approach that really leapfrogs the um, high-income countries and and achieve a higher-value system? And so, you know, our first step as an organization was to start with a piece of thought leadership to really begin to seed the health systems conversation in low and middle income countries with a concept um, and a framework for thinking about maximizing value. Um, And in that we, one made a strategic case for why uh, they should, why low and middle income countries might prioritize um, some of these best practices in value-based care. Um, So making the public health and economic case Secondly, we offered up um, a, a set of and defined a set of best practices around value-based care that we thought were more relevant to the low and middle-income country context. So defining best practices in measurement, delivery, and in payment. And we also showcased a lot of existing innovation. Even if they don't use the word value-based care, there are a lot of innovators in these markets that are um, demonstrating some of those best practices. Um, And then we offered something of a strategy for health systems transformation. So after the launch of that report, um, you know, we had a chance to share it with the G20, for example, and with um, with colleagues um, at organizations like the World Bank. And uh, we were supported by the Gates Foundation and USAID and Rockefeller Foundation. Um, And so starting with that thought leadership piece was really helpful. And now we're shifting gears to really taking action on some of the recommendations of that report. Uh, there's a few pieces to that um, in, in our work now. The first is around experimentation. So how do we actually start demonstrating how you can um, apply value-based care principles in these contexts? And we're trying to do that or doing that with partners that really have a potential to scale. 
Um, so existing financing platforms that are uh, looking to test a new idea and if it works, have the capacity to, um, to mainstream that idea. The second piece of work is in digital health and ha- how do we actually reorient as a lot of countries build their own national digital health strategies, align those digital health strategies with a system that can actually support value-based care rather than replicating maybe a more claims-oriented, for example, um, system that we have in a lot of high-income countries. So leapfrogging the digital health piece. And then there's a third um, angle around investing for value. And part of that is what not to invest in. So in the same way, environmentally responsible investment funds won't invest in coal because it has like a a 30-year legacy. How can we take a value lens to um, investing um, and that, you know, maybe not investing in for example, hospital beds where there's a saturated market, but also actually taking a proactive view, like what are the enablers to to value? There, there might be tech investments, for example, investments in um, human resources that can actually lead to a higher value system. So it's really those three pillars that, uh, that our work is focused on. Is healthcare as political in other places as it is here? You know, almost nothing right now escapes the, the maw of if you're for it, I'm against it. You know, despite these countries having fewer resources, is there any sense that they're all at least pulling more in the same direction? It's hugely political. Uh, so yes to the first part of your question. Um, in the same way that the ACA was dubbed Obamacare, which sort of signals, you know, a political affiliation in India, their national health, universal health coverage strategy is called, has been dubbed Modi Care uh, after the prime minister there. So it's definitely political. And you can get a sense from how some health coverage schemes are designed from the outset. So for example, there's a number of countries, India included, um, that have started their health insurance journey really focused on hospital coverage, which we know can, uh, in the end game, result in um, a higher cost system. Uh, But there's a political appeal to that, right? If you're able to help cover people's hospital bills, and that's actually much easier to scale paying for hospital coverage than um, a higher value approach. You can get a, a political win in that in that coverage, but not necessarily steer the system toward a, a high value point. Yeah, when you describe it that way, they're, they're playing leapfrogging came down hard in the wrong place if they end on the, on the hospital system as the basis of it. Yeah, I mean, jury's still out there. You know, India's, it's, I don't want to oversimplify. It's a, um, it's a country that is in some ways um, trying to steer toward a high value system, but um, at the moment, at least, it does seem to be more of a hospital-focused approach. And the people that are running that health insurance scheme in India at the National Health Authority recognize that challenge and are working on it. So I don't want to sort of dismiss the uh, the work that they're doing at all. But um, yeah, it's just to sort of point to the political nature. To what extent in these countries, I know many of them rely heavily on out-of-pocket spend on the part of patients and families uh, to sustain the system is, is your message of paying more to get more, is that consumer focused, so to speak? Is that patient focused or are you targeting primarily the government run portion of the health system? Yeah. I mean, just as you see in a lot of high income markets, um, there's a huge variety in, in health systems in terms of how they finance things and how it's structured. Um, so in some countries, uh, the out-of-pocket portion is as high as like three quarters of the spend. Uh, in other countries that are actually, frankly, quite a bit poorer, the public sector spending is, is, um, is in the majority. 
uh, in general, uh, in the push towards universal health coverage, part of the goal is to to pull risk better and so to decrease out-of-pocket spending. I think the public sector is likely for a lot of countries to cover what's often called the base of the pyramid, so some of the um, uh, the lower-income people in the, in the country. Um, and then there are many countries that, uh, you know, simultaneously are expecting um, private payer schemes to also um, be part of their overall solution, so something of a hybrid. So it's a mix, and, and that I think that um, diversity creates uh, different kinds of opportunities to start experimenting with value. You could start in the public sector, but if the private sector has more degrees of freedom to innovate, you could start there and try to shift the market um, more by starting in the private sector. Just wondering about how people view healthcare systems and really how people view things at all. We focus here in America on, on all the many things that could be improved upon in our system. And we sometimes look longingly to Scandinavian countries or Canada, but I, I have family in Canada and they have real problems with and the wait list for things and um, you know other aspects of care there. So my question is, is anybody around the world, is there any country where people are just happy with their healthcare system? Or is it such a, a fundamental thing that people want perfect that we just notice the problems no matter what? I don't know if I've, I'm, I'm a great judge of that. I think there are health systems that uh, have made a lot of progress and have earned a good amount of um, public faith in those in their development um, of their health system. Thailand comes to, um, comes to mind, for example. My hunch is the answer is that every health system is a work in progress. And I wouldn't describe it as negativity to sort of people noticing some of the flaws. It's just, that's what drives innovation, recognizing some of the challenges and how can we think about uh, how to improve them. Taking a turn towards the more practical side of this, um, given that many of the folks in our audience are you know, physicians who work in you know, CHCs or in private practices, what do these engagements look like? For, for your team? Is this, and you don't have to give any specifics with specific mm-hmm. countries unless you're comfortable doing that, but like, what's the, what's the range of engagement? Do you approach them? Do they approach you? Do they see a white paper out there? Like, talk me through how that process works. Cause I think actually implementing this stuff is, is, is really interesting beyond just, not just, but beyond the, the difficulty of um, developing the framework. Like how do you put it into action? Yeah. Um, great question. And, you know, my answer to this is also a work in progress because we're actually trying to figure out what the right leverage points are. Um, but so, you know, the reason we started with that thought leadership piece was to actually um, use that as a tool to start opening conversations with leading providers, payers in the public and private sector in a handful of countries. So we've um, used that, um, uh, the paper, um, Leapfrog to Value, that was published with a few leading global health funders to um, open those conversations. And we've really tried to focus in three places so far for those conversations, Kenya, South Africa, and India. And those were selected because they're all countries that are um, actively moving towards universal health coverage and are more in the category of a middle-income country that's got some of the basic building blocks in place to start experimenting um, more ambitiously. And where there's also in the urban markets, especially some of the sort of supply side components that would um, enable a value-based care system, whether it's like on the data side or capabilities to analyze and and manage for value. Um, And to give you a sense of how these conversations sort of translate then into actual experimentation, uh, there's a few phases to that. One is really um, pulling together 
uh, the right consortium of, of actors to experiment. And so that, you know, obviously needs a, a provider at the table, a payer at the table, um, sometimes public sector actors. So on uh, tuberculosis in India, on HIV in Sub-Saharan Africa, we've got um, uh, a few experiments at a phase where we're pulling together those coalitions uh, that are interested in experimenting in, in value-based care. Um, and then the second piece is um, collaboratively designing what a pilot would look like. And you know, we see a few pieces of that. One is um, in a place that, that doesn't yet have a framework for measuring value or for a care pathway where there isn't sort of a methodology to measuring value determining what are the outcomes that matter to patients for that care pathway? How are we going to go about measuring cost? A delivery component around just, you know, redesigning the care pathway around the patient. And then where possible, um, figuring out how to wrap a payment model around that, a bundled payment or otherwise. Um, so there's like a, a design phase. And then where we really support on the implementation side is on getting some of this, the the um, the value-based care, almost performance management cycles up and running. So providers and payers in this consortium can start looking at the data, uh, figuring out how do they want to optimize around it. And then also to be a longer term, and this is more aspirational because it's kind of in our future, not not something we're doing yet, be the um, sort of impartial evaluator that's um, positioned well to sort of help translate some of those learnings to determine whether or not you can scale something or when, when something's ready to scale, but then also share learnings across a network of, of practitioners across low middle income countries that might actually want to learn from each other. What's the balance between getting on the ground folks in country, so to speak, and folks on your team that may be based in a place like Washington, D.C. or you know New York? Or how do you think about striking that balance? Yeah, frankly, uh, we're focusing on hiring um, in market in a place like India where we've got a bunch of partnerships. And uh, we'll continue to focus um, there. We do want to partner with people in high-income countries because there's a lot of experience and talent to bring to bear. But for this to be really locally led is is really important just to actually just get stuff done uh, and understand the politics, which we know, and some of the sort of um, stakeholder management, which we know can make or break a lot of this work. And then, um, you know, learning where we can from, from, from outside uh, um, actors that may have experienced launching something in a high-income country, for example. Uh, Chen, are there any best practices you've seen that you thought could be relatively easily applied to our own system? It's a great question around the reverse innovation, reverse innovation as it's sometimes called. I think there's already um, some track record of this. Uh, you know, there's several HBS case studies, for example, Harvard Business School case studies, for example, on um, eye care in India, where they've actually been able to reduce by an order of magnitude costs uh, and improve um, outcomes in some ways by like um, taking advantage of the huge volumes of patients that you might have um, in a place like India. And so some of those um, learnings I feel have, have already sort of made their way into higher income countries. I think another area which I think is really ripe for transfer is thinking about um, how to strengthen the um, uh, sort of community outreach and community-based interventions. A lot of low and middle income countries have really strong community health worker systems where people are actually at households or in the community shaping healthy behaviors. And that's a legacy of 
immunization campaigns, for example, and outreach around maternal and child health, where that was already really pushed out to the community. I think in the U.S. we're recognizing um, in COVID, for example, that um, shaping healthy behaviors in the community is actually a, a really high value lever. And you know, obviously, we've we've already started that journey in the, in, the, in a place like the U.S. But I think there's more to be learned from those models um, and those resources. Frankly, right now are helping support in in a handful of countries pretty big testing and contact tracing because they've already got that capacity. Um, and the U.S. we've been behind on something like that because we don't actually have that capacity. So I think it's also important for something like um, resilience. Coronavirus takes up still a lot of the oxygen, but soon hopefully that will be the case. What are you excited about on the frontier in the places that you're working and beyond? Great. Uh, One vision for longer term change toward value, health systems shift towards value, is really figuring out a way to embed value-based innovation in the universal health coverage strategies of countries. And we're interested in learning from models like the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, which came out as one part of the ACA, which provided there's a couple of features of it that attract us to that model. One is it, it had um, dedicated funding for value-based experimentation and innovation uh, with payers and providers to do that experimentation at the state level. Second, it established a framework of performance thresholds that once an individual pilot reached a certain performance threshold, you could actually scale that or mainstream that across Medicaid without having to go back to Congress. And so the question is, you know, could a country like India or South Africa um, integrate something of like a center for innovation that has the um, mandate to, to support value-based innovation and then when it works, actually scale it. Dr. Chin Maru, uh, founder and executive director of Leapfrog to Value and a director at the Global Development Incubator. Thanks for joining us on the ACO Show. Thanks a lot, Joe and Josh. Hey, everyone. This is Joe Schunkweiler, and I just wanted to take a moment and say goodbye, as this is sadly my final ACO show as a co-host. Thanks to everyone for tuning in over the last few years, and a special thank you to my co-host and co-creator, Dr. Josh Israel. Thanks, everyone. The ACO Show is produced by Brittany Barnes and Hannah Posner. Theme music is by Donna Korn. You can listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ACO Show.